there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. One of the toughest things about playing football was having to go away to training camp every summer. It wasn't the heat. It wasn't the aches and pains and all the rest. The toughest thing about it was missing my family and friends having to leave home. Well, you can imagine how that must feel for aging family members who have to leave home, not to make a team, but just to get that assistance that they need for daily living. Now, somebody whom I've long admired for the attitude and the love that he brings to his work and making that a smoother transition for people is my friend, Tony Ugetti. Tony is the healthcare administrator at Greencroft Goshen Healthcare, one of the 50 largest senior living communities in America. So welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you, Chris. You're really a go-to guy for me because you've been in a number of different places. You decided to make this sort of work a vocation of yours, and I know it's more than just a job. It is truly a vocation. You're about as close to Mother Teresa as I can think in some ways because of your dedication to it. And you're, you know, you haven't been to India, but you've been around the country and you've seen a lot of different things. And so you're a great guy for our listeners to benefit from right now. So you've been doing this for how long? I've been in healthcare my entire adult life. So I graduated from college at 22, graduated on a Friday, started in Fort Wayne, Indiana on a Monday in 1990. And it's 31 years later, and I'm still here. I've been an administrator of nursing homes since 2007. And as you alluded to, have been blessed to move around a bit, work in a lot of different areas in leadership and happy to have settled in Goshen. Now, we only know nursing homes or assisted living centers. I know there are lots of different ones, and I'll probably hack them up a little bit. But if you, if I say nursing homes, I think everybody will kind of get an idea of what I think. This is not Club Med. This is a, a place people have moved because they're aging up and they need some help in some way. And we only know these facilities from the outside. Could you tell us a little bit about what goes on the inside? I mean, you're really a self-contained city. There's so many different roles and responsibilities. And from your point of view of being on the inside, what does the community that actually runs the place look like and composed of? Sure. And thanks for that, because there is a lot of jargon when people start to make these decisions. They'll hear lots of new words they've never heard before, and it can get very confusing very quickly. And so when you and I have talked before, we've talked about a continuum of care that has at one end of it, relatively independent living, almost like a place where you're living on campus or in a community, but you still have your own home, all the way through to the end of the continuum of care I work on, which is people who need assistance with bathing, dressing, feeding, maybe need tube feeding, maybe need IV therapy, maybe need full 24-hour care. But the beauty of a place like Greencroft Goshen is we are what you call a continuing care 
retirement community. You'll hear that word quite frequently if your customers start to shop for long-term care, sometimes abbreviated CCRC, Mm -hmm. and sometimes now being called life plan communities because the goal of a life plan community, and there are many of them in Michiana, is you move into a place and you basically, if it resonates with you and you like the spirit of the place, you can stay there throughout the rest of your adult life and have the confidence that you don't have to keep moving as your condition may change. At Greencroft Goshen, they are building freestanding homes, Whispering Pines, I believe they're calling it, where people can buy essentially an 1,800 square foot home and live here on campus and enjoy the amenities. And as they age, if they need to move to assisted living, which is Evergreen Place, or healthcare, which is my setting, They have the ability to do that, and they're already part of the fabric of the community. Upwards of 1,100 people live here on campus with us. Yeah, when you say it's almost like a little town of its own, it does become that. We have a bank with an ATM on site. We've got a variety of dining options, indoor and outdoor activities. So it does become that. And that really comforts some older adults who you make one decision, and you don't have to worry about making multiple decisions as time goes by. Tony, you kind of walked into a house on fire in your new position as the healthcare administrator during the middle of a pandemic. And we've been challenged in many different ways as a worldwide community. And from all reports, the folks in assisted living centers have been hit the worst because of primarily their vulnerability because of their age. So let's talk a little bit about that challenge and what it is and perhaps some of the things that you're doing to meet it? Obviously, anyone having to make a decision to enter into a congregate living environment after living at home alone, it's a life-changing decision and a decision that's always fraught with a lot of pros and cons, loss of independence, loss of mobility, things of that nature. Those things have always been involved in the decision. You have to have the right kind of person that you can trust that's going to walk with you on that walk and be honest and forthright with you about what it is you're signing up for, the the pros and the cons, the things you're going to compromise for. But now, as you mentioned, here comes COVID-19. I was in Livonia, Michigan, in a beautiful, beautiful field nursing center. And COVID hits in the middle of March up there. It hit earlier up there than it did in the Indiana area. And just everything. I remember on a Saturday morning, the governor came out and said, no more visitation in the nursing home. So I took a shower and by nine o'clock, I was there, for want of a better word, clearing out visitors from the nursing home. Hmm. Loved ones, spouses who had been sitting with their loved one. I had to be the person to say, because of this pandemic, I can't let you sit with your loved one anymore. We have to ask you to leave. And that was a very tough day because you're giving up trust. To the provider that you choose, yeah. that you'll get the care you need. And that's always going to be difficult. And none of us are perfect. No nursing facility will ever be perfect. There will always be things that need some fine tuning. And we trust our families to be partners with us on that journey. I've always been the type of leader in senior care where the more I see my families, the better. And it's not uncommon in my buildings that If someone is having a rough time and the spouse feels like spending the night would give their loved one comfort, Mm -hmm. by all means, we'll get a bed or a cot in and let you spend the night and Mm -hmm. be with your spouse and help them through the struggle they may be having. All of a sudden with COVID, that all goes away. 
And you've probably seen the pictures that are somewhat tragic, people standing outside a window, talking through the window. You see what the weather is like in Indiana right now. It's a very difficult proposition to stand outside a window and talk to your loved one. You and I both share the fact that not only do we work in these industries, we also have loved ones who are in institutions. My mother-in-law is in a place in Crown Point, Indiana. And I spent Christmas, just like many of our customers spent Christmas, standing in the snow outside a window uh, celebrating Christmas with my loved one. Absolutely bizarre and just exponentially made this transition more difficult. I hope you weren't getting hit with some of that famous lake effect snow that evening. (laughs) It was a cold day. And (laughs) it's it's something that We just have to realize this is a season that we're in, in our nation, in our country, in our industry. Already, I hope we'll have a little bit of time to talk about the positive effects we're seeing of the vaccination efforts and the fact that in our county and in your county, infectivity rates are coming down. Things are getting better. And I just have all the way through this, the piece I've taken as I pray through how we're going to go another day is that this cannot persist at the level it persisted at forever. There has to be a morning after. Yep. There has to be improvement. And to start to see that improvement now gives us hope for the future. Excellent. Excellent. What has your vaccination effort looked like thus far? Well, the federal government asked us to partner with one of two pharmacies, either Walgreens or CVS. And by us, I mean every nursing home in America. And you know, for no reason besides just it's the one I chose, I chose Walgreens as my pharmacy partner. And they offered us in every nursing home in America three clinics. And it really was a one-stop shop whereby Walgreens brought in the vaccination. They brought in upwards of 11 people to give the shots. We gave almost 310 shots on January 5th, and we gave upwards of 350 on February 2nd. And so among our nursing home residents, we have over 95% of the residents have been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any adverse side effects. A few people were a little sore and and not quite as energetic the next day, but nothing we had to report to the government as an adverse side effect. The assisted living also received vaccinations and did really well with that. And upwards of 45% of our workers, team members, have received the vaccination. We were given the Moderna vaccine. That's the vaccine Walgreens sourced for us. And we were just really happy at how smoothly it went. I couldn't ask for it to have gone any smoother. I know that my team and I worked really hard logistically to prepare for success. And Walgreens, they just, they hit the ball out of the ballpark in the care they gave us and the responsiveness. We actually, it felt like on that January 5th clinic, we had more help than we needed. And what a nice feeling it was. I I know that there's, there's a political component to talking about the response to coronavirus, but on that day, everything worked the way it should have. It felt a very historic day. It felt a day of celebration. And at the end of the day, we've seen our numbers in our county and in our facilities drop because of that. Excellent. Glad to hear those results. I know that leading up to that, you probably were chewing on the ethics of everything. Who was going to get you know, served first? The term that I've heard you use before is distributive justice, which is a really fine way to look at things. Would we all do that? And then seeking people's informed consent is what was going on. It sounds like that went smoothly, but there's probably a period of time. How did you ramp up to the actual vaccination day with those things in mind? Sure. So just to talk a little bit of background for your listeners, 
I have been very blessed in my career to work in faith-based healthcare in many different settings. And so some from the Catholic persuasion, Greencroft Goshen is Mennonite sponsored, but it's these are definitely faith-based environments. And in a faith-based environment, you do take the ethics of this very, very seriously. I have been on several ethics committees as part of my time as a nursing home administrator and I'm the co-chair of the ethics committee at Greencroft Goshen. And when the vaccine news first started coming out, you saw a lot of talk in the media about should it be mandated? Should people be forced to receive the vaccine? And viewed through an ethics lens, that gives me a pause for concern because to me, one of the primary things we always have to look at in healthcare is the right of informed consent. If someone under my care says, I don't wanna receive that vaccine and I really feel strongly about that, I cannot in good conscience tell them, well, you must. Now, if the government promulgates that we must, that's a different story. But Greencroft as an organization made the decision operationally early on that we were not going to mandate the vaccine for our workers. We were going to educate and teach the benefits. We were going to encourage but we were not going to force or mandate or make it as a condition of employment. And even with not doing that, we still got upwards of 45% of our team members chose to get vaccinated. Against the national average, it's about 36% among healthcare workers. The other thing that came in again, like you mentioned, we do have to get that informed consent. So in a nursing home, that took a lot of logistics of calling family members for those people who couldn't consent for themselves. Many of our people have powers of attorney or healthcare representatives who are their advocates. And so the conversation and education had to be done with those people. And that took a lot of work. That probably took two and a half weeks of work to get about 170 consents signed. Took a lot of work, but we got it done. And part of the, again, preparation leads to success on game day. You probably know that. (laughs) And so we planned hard to make sure we were gonna have a good game day. And part of that was working individually on the telephone or face-to-face with our families, explaining why this is, why it's important. If they choose to say no, we would educate them again. A few people did refuse the first dose on January 5th. We did the exact same thing for the February 2nd dose. We asked Mm -hmm. them again, are you sure you still don't want to receive the vaccine or have you changed your mind? And of the roughly 12 people who refused the vaccine the first time, about four of them decided on the second go, I'll go ahead and get it this time. And we're going to use the same strategy, the third dose on March 2nd, and see if we can't get those few people who still refused. They've seen how their peers responded. They've seen that nobody had any big adverse effects. Maybe we can then go ahead and get them also on board. You're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey, and my guest today is Tony Ugetti, healthcare administrator at Greencroft Goshen Healthcare. If you have a moment, I want to go back to the distributive justice idea, because that was the second ethical conundrum that I really, I have something powerful I want to talk to you about with that. Please share it. You know, I think that throughout my career in long-term care and in, in serving the elderly, There's always been, you know, this societal idea that maybe people at this end of the age spectrum don't deserve the same respect or place in line that maybe the younger generations deserve. You know, these people are at the end of their lives. They're basically waiting out the clock, so to speak. And so there can sometimes be ageism. I wrote a paper probably 15 years ago now about just how the frail elderly deserve just as much consideration for things 
as do young, vibrant people. Mm-hmm. Imagine how excited I was when the first group of people chosen to receive the vaccine are the frail elderly. <laughs> Again, there's been a lot of talk politically and lots of criticism of the way things have been done. And obviously, those are cans of worms you and I are not going to open and we're not going to engage in that discussion. But I feel like it really was done right that older people were moved to the head of the line and were the absolute first people availed the vaccine. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who suffered disproportionately with the yeah. illness and the death. And for us as a society to recognize that they should be moved to the front of the line, it touched me in a way that I just feel like that was really done right. And there's still a lingering damage, if you will, or consequences of all of this, and that's the isolation. Their family members are still being separated, aren't they? It has been so hard. It's been the most gut-wrenching difficult part of my career. I get phone calls daily. And the hard thing is, since we are funded through the federal government, through the auspices of Medicare and Medicaid, we have, as an industry from the get-go, had to rely on trusted sources like the CDC, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the Indiana State Department of Health. These are the sources that are telling us what we can and cannot do. So, Kind of right now, the excitement that is building with us is if your building is free from COVID and you don't have any active cases, and if you're below 10% county positivity in your county, you can begin to reopen for visitation in person. And so we are really close here in Goshen to meeting those two guidelines. And so a lot of work is taking place right now, how we can start to reopen to in-person visitation successfully and start to break down that isolation. The one thing that our guidance has given us is an end of life. And for compassionate care reasons, we could have in-person visitation. And so we've been able to avail that for some of our people. There's probably nothing more tragic as a nursing home administrator than seeing someone die and being isolated from their family. So the ability to let people come in at the end of life, knowing that they can come in, wear all the appropriate personal protective equipment and spend some time with their loved one, that is a real blessing. As we do move forward towards reopening, we have been provided by the federal government just thousands of these tests that are 15-minute COVID tests. Mm -hmm. So we will be able to test our visitors 15 minutes before they come into the building as a level of security to make sure that we are not having people come in that may have asymptomatic cases. So all that planning is going on behind the scenes. It feels as if we're right on the cusp of being able to get back to some semblance of normal visitation. But again, I can't tell you how difficult that was that day I had to go in and clear the visitors out to have to stand at the door. I'm in Livonia, Michigan, on the border of Detroit. I feared a little bit about whether someone might try to rush their way through or tell me that I didn't have the authority to stop them from visiting their loved one. I had a couple of people threaten me that their attorney would be calling me and re-educating <laughs> me on what reality is. But luckily, none of that came to fruition. And slowly but surely, that became our new normal. It'll be so nice to get back to being able to have people in, though, because the fabric of a place like Greencroft Goshen or any nursing center is that partnership with the families, that partnership with the daughters and sons and the grandkids, being able to see people come in, 
the social isolation has been a difficult, difficult thing to have to manage through. Yeah, and it's probably going to they're going to have to relearn some skills or readjust their own uh, routine and coming to visit their loved ones. What advice would you give family members for interacting with the nursing homes that their loved ones are in? The first thing I want to say is just as an operator, as someone who is here, you know, in the middle, I've been so impressed with the patience that people have shown. And mm-hmm. you think about the ask that we have, that mom's going to live here with us and you can't come in and see her. The patience that our family members have shown has just been exemplary. We've tried to talk through with people the whys behind it of why these decisions were made. We've tried to be as empathetic as we could. And the one thing I would probably counsel is just as we get going here, We can't just throw open the doors and open the floodgates and pretend like it's the first day of summer and we're going to the beach. (laughs) We've got to be able to get started slow and kind of nuanced. I Mm -hmm. think we're going to try to hold our visitations to 20 to 30 minutes at the beginning, just so we can monitor, are our systems in place and working? Do we have enough team members that can help? Are we making sure everyone's being consistent with wearing their protective devices? As we get started, and get going good slow, then we can start to ramp it up and maybe increase the time we allow people to spend in the building. And the other thing that's going to be happening concurrently with that is hopefully as these numbers go down and as we start to emerge from the pandemic, the guidance from the state and federal regulators should start to relax a little and maybe let us do more. Is there a big difference between the how states are handling this? I mean, somebody in Michigan's having a different experience than the folks down in Indiana. What do you hear? Much of our guidance comes from the federal level, and so the states take the advice from the federal level. For example, I'm on a call every Thursday with the Indiana State Department of Health, and they're very transparent that we talked to the CDC this week about that. We talked to Dr. Fauci last week about this. So the states are taking direction from the federal government, and I don't want to speak for the other 49, but in Indiana, I feel like there's a good dialogue going on. I know in talking with our Walgreens pharmacy partner, you know, they had talked about the fact that as they sourced their vaccine, Governor Holcomb was involved in those conversations. They were on conference calls with him. So there's been a lot of good public-private partnership going on. But I think the federal government is kind of the ones who are driving the overall response and the states take the lead from them. Having only practiced in Indiana primarily and Michigan a little bit during the COVID, I think it'd be out of my scope to say how the other states are responding, but it feels good to be a nursing home operator in Indiana. I think they've been incredibly fair. I think they've done a really good job in the way that they've navigated through the pandemic. As operators, we feel a lot of support from them. Excellent. It's been a difficult time for you. Tony, you really in the frying pan since coming to Indiana with all of this sort of stuff. And it's remarkable just how cool and collected you are. What do you do on a personal level to to maintain that sense of, well, I wouldn't call it serenity, but, <laughs> you know, staying on top of things and keeping a good spirit? Well, thanks for asking because, you know, COVID really has affected everything. So one of my main avocations outside of work is I like to play ice hockey. And so I skated at Notre Dame on a Thursday night men's league. And because of COVID, Notre Dame has closed that league down right now. And so Mm -hmm. I've had to find alternative outlets for my hockey and my exercise. In full disclosure, one of the reasons we came back to Indiana is because in Michigan, the gyms were closed, the rinks were closed, the restaurants were closed. Indiana was much more liberal in reopening such things like that. And 
I enjoy athletic pursuits outside of work. It helps me to keep my energy up and have fuel for the journey. So that's a big part of what I do outside of work. Also just, again, my spiritual life. I love working in faith-based organizations. Prayer is a big part of getting through this. If I was to sit here and, and tell you my team and I are navigating through this by our grace and our brains, that's not true. The Lord has his hand on senior living. The Lord is watching over us and keeping us safe. We ask every time we have tough decisions to make for God to guide us in wisdom for us to find the right answer. In a situation where, honestly, Chris, from the outset of COVID, the answers have changed sometimes every day. Sometimes within the day, the guidance would change. Mm -hmm. Some of that has calmed down now as the pandemic has gone into its later months. But I'll tell you there, when it first started hitting in Detroit in March and April and May, there were many days where it's like I didn't really know what the guidance was, waiting for the guidance to catch up to what we maybe heard. And, you know, I'm sure our listeners have seen that. You know, there was a time when there's no need to wear masks in public, and then all of a sudden there's mask mandates that masks have to be worn in public. So, probably the most challenging thing that's required the most endurance for us in this industry is just keeping up with the pace, the pace of regulatory change keeping up with what's expected of us this day as we start to emerge from the pandemic. And that, again, is just we then have to be the stewards of that information and give it down to our residents and to our residents' families and to the people we partner with. And sometimes just being able to say, I don't know the answer and being vulnerable and being honest is the best policy sometimes. Well said, Tony. Thanks for all that you've done. Sounds like almost like a profile in courage. You guys are really like the canaries in the mine. You know, you're the ones that feel the damage of the pandemic first because of the vulnerability of your clients. And so your, your responsibility just soars way above everybody else's in that regard. So thanks for all that you do. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you. There are 13,000 plus nursing homes in America. So there's lots of people who have walked the same journey. Uh, alongside us in cities and towns across America. This is a difficult decision to make when you're looking at your loved ones needing to come into a place. The pleasure is all ours. Thank you for your kind words and thank you for letting us share some of our journey with you. Thanks, Tony. I'm Chris Godfrey and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation where we are better because of each other. And for more great Catholic podcasts, check out spokestreet.com and I look forward to seeing you the next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And... For a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to RedeemerRadio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network.
For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.